Turn your Bibles to the 138th Psalm tonight, Psalms chapter 138. Man, what a blessing to get to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, I'm excited. I've looked forward to this all week, getting to be here. And uh, I don't know about you, it's a high point of my week to get to be in the house of God. And uh, what a blessing. It's a privilege to get to be here. Uh, Sometimes we have to remind the flesh of that. Amen. Sometimes we'll get to thinking that we've got things that can distract us or should distract us, other responsibilities and sort. Of course, there are times people are providentially hindered from being able to be here. But I'll tell you this, there's nothing more important going on in your life or mine uh, than what God is seeking to do in our lives. Psalms 138, and uh, I'd like to begin reading at verse number 1. We'll read the entirety of this psalm, and uh, I just want to share a few thoughts with you in anticipation of this coming week and what we're desiring God to do. Uh, let's, let's begin reading in verse number one. The Bible says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answeredest me, and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. But the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you tonight thankful and humbled at this opportunity to be here. Lord, we've come to do business with you. Lord, we've come because not just we need to see friends and not just we need an activity, Lord, uh, and certainly not even just because we needed a pep talk or a, or a Sunday school lesson, but Lord, we've come tonight because we need you. We need to hear from you. We need your word, your truth. We need your presence in this place. And we confess boldly, openly before all those here that we are ill-equipped, unable, insufficient for this task. And, Lord, that we desperately need to hear from heaven. Father, I pray that you'd help us to have receptive ears and hearts. Lord, I know that you desire to work in us, but may we have a heart that will receive your working in a way that would bring you glory. Lord, I love you. I thank you for loving us. And I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to take particular notice of verse number 7 and a word that is used there. And I want to say a few words about it and then jump into the preaching tonight. The psalmist says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. We're getting ready to go into a series of meetings this upcoming week. We call those meetings revival meetings. I've had a lot of conversations with people lately about what revival is. You know, all this uh, business up in Kentucky got people talking about people that didn't ever have an opinion on revival all of a sudden endorse this revival. <laughs> people that want, that couldn't have, people that couldn't have told you when their church was having a revival all of a sudden endorsed this revival up here very often without knowing a single thing about it. Um, and so, you know, I just, I did what I normally do. I sit back and watch and listen to what people say and, 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 you know, just sort of examine the general spirit and disposition of people about things. And I noticed a lot of, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of pastors or, or I know them at least. And, um, I noticed that there was this knee-jerk thing where some people wanted to jump in a camp of saying 
well, that's revival. That's revival. Don't criticize it. That's what it is. It's revival. How do you know? And blah, blah, blah. And by the way, those folks got a lot quieter the longer it went on uh, because some things began to come out that uh, that that the wisdom of caution uh, had uh, had certainly warned against. And then there was some in another group that wanted to say, well, you know, we just don't even believe in revival. <laughs> and uh, I will tell you this. I believe in revival biblically defined. What I mean by that is this. The word revival is a distinctly Old Testament word. It really regards God putting Israel in a right condition and uh, in a right state with him and, and restoring them back to the land. But these truths also foreshadow the fact that God's people, certainly from time to time, we allow ourselves to grow lax and apathetic. And we need a refreshing from God. We need we need God to meet with His people. Uh, and this is what I said to people. People would ask me. They'd say, you know, do you believe that that you know uh, revival, as defined by the Bible, do you think we ought to be seeking revival? And I, I told them this. You know, you can give whatever word you want to choose to it. But I believe we need a move of God. I believe we need God to be able and to have liberty to move and to work in the hearts of His people. And I understand that word revival may not be in the New Testament. And certainly there is much to be said for this overemphasis on an abstract nebulous concept that is not biblical known as revival, while all the, uh, all the same time ignoring all that we have in Jesus Christ already. And uh, there are people that in disingenuousness have, have sought to sort of uh, categorize Christians as, as having a second class form or a lower tier form of Christianity because they've not been to a meeting, ran a lap, you know, ran waving the Christian flag or walked a pew. And I think a lot of that is naive and nearsighted and, and, and ignorant. But I do believe that there is, a, for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. We can get on a ditch in either side. I do believe we need God to move in our midst. And looking at this upcoming series of meetings, I, I always ask myself this question. What am I expecting out of it? I think very few people often really expect anything out of revival. It's probably why they don't get much out of revival. I think in any endeavor of life, if you don't expect anything out of it, you're probably not going to get anything out of it. And as we come into this series of meetings, I want to give you tonight from the Word of God a few things that I think we should be able to expect when God moves amongst His people. The psalmist here is talking about needing God to move in his life. He's in the midst of trials, he's in the midst of difficulties, he's in the midst of an arduous situation, and he's crying out to God, seeking for God to intervene, and seeking for God to make himself known. Can I say, we are living in troublesome times, but our God is not troubled by the times we live in. We're living in disturbing times, but our God is not disturbed in, in regards to his authority and, 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 and his governance by the disturbing things of society. Undoubtedly, he is bothered by them, uh, but not one of them is a threat to his authority. And as such, I, I think that revival, we could maybe design, uh, define it this way. It is rooting ourselves in heavenly spheres. It is determining to uh, drive the tent stakes of our life into the authority and presence and power of God to uncouple ourselves from this world and to seek to live a world more daily in his presence. And that's what the psalmist is desiring and seeking to do in this psalm. And so very quickly, I just want it like reading through a catalog. I want to give you seven things that you ought to be expecting 
this next week. And I believe if you expect God to do these things, and if you have your heart open to God doing these things, I believe these are the exact kind of things that God desires to do over this series of meetings. Look with me at verse number 1. The Bible says this, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. Let me say number one tonight. You ought to expect there to be praise at this revival meeting. You ought to come into the service expecting to lift up the high and holy name of Jesus Christ. You ought to anticipate that when you come to this meeting, and I say this, man, I mean, I don't know. I I could be wrong. There could be a a visitor hiding up above a ceiling tile that I'm unaware of. But I, I look around and I see home folks. You ought to feel like you're coming to a place where you can praise the Lord and lift His name up in boldness. Uh, my pastor used to say this. He'd talk about worship in a service. And he'd say, I don't care how loud you shout, as long as it's in a language I can understand. Amen. He would say, I don't care how high you jump, as long as your feet are pointing straight when you hit the ground. And certainly we are not uh, endeavoring to traffic in emotionalism. But God's people have something to praise Him about. Notice what this praise should be. Number one, it should be passionate praise. He says this, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Now, we could spend time deconstructing the words there and looking at the Hebrew and examining this and examining that. But can I make it real simple for you? When you say with my whole heart, you mean all in. That's what you mean. You mean all in. It may have been uh, in the younger days of your matrimonial love that you even used to say to your spouse, I love you with my whole heart. Some of y'all remember that? Dust off the cobwebs back when you was romantic. And, and remember when you say, I love you with my whole heart. And what you were saying is, I'm all in on you. There's no reservation. There's no hesitation. Every fiber of who I am, I love you with my whole heart. Well, here's what the psalmist says. I want to praise God with my whole heart. I think very often we allow the the difficulty of the day to produce in us, often from a place of fatigue and weariness, and I understand that, but we allow it to place in us a cynicism when we come in revival meet. We come in, we don't expect to have church. I, can I tell you this? One of the things I love about our church is that we, we, and I ain't saying it's always as good as it is sometimes, but I appreciate it that we came in tonight and you sang. We worship. We enjoyed. We didn't, we didn't come in to have midweek meeting. We came in to have church. I remember years ago talking to a pastor, and his name escapes me right now. Uh, some of y'all would know it if I could remember it enough to tell you. Uh, but I was talking to a pastor about his uh, ministry, and uh, he had a very robust Wednesday night. And I asked him, I said, well, what do you do on Wednesday night that it makes like that? He said, I don't do anything different. He said, I come in, and I have the same church on Wednesday night that I have on Sunday morning. We come in expecting God to move on Wednesday night, just like we expect God to move. On Sunday morning. And I will say that in revival meeting, although, listen, the evangelist does not carry revival along with him in his pocket to hand out to everyone, we should expect that we are going to come in and be all in on what God is doing. So I would say this passionate praise, but number two, public praise. He says this, before the gods will I pray, will I sing praise unto thee. Now, the New Testament's very explicit, not that you have to go all the way to the New Testament to find out, but Paul declared to us that a false god is no god at all. We understand that. And certainly the psalmist is not endorsing a, a, a you know, pantheon of, of gods being in, in existence. When he says before the gods, he's saying, I'm going to go to the places where the pagans worship their gods and I'm going to praise your name. 
In other words, he was not going to confine his praise of the Lord only to within a friendly environment of people that were like-minded in regards to God, but that he was going to go out into a godless world, a pagan world, an infidel world, and he was going to praise God in their midst. Hey, listen, you ought to talk about what God's doing in your heart and in your life. You say, well, preacher, I do. I talk to my mama about it. I talk to my children about it. I talk to my sibling about it. You ought to talk to just people about it. We have allowed society to condition us to this perspective of, of, of Christianity that it ought to be a private matter. Uh, and part of the reason for that is, listen, pagans can afford to be private about their religion. It's not saving people from hell. But you as a born-again believer can't afford to be private about your Christianity. There's too much at stake. And uh, you say, well, preacher, I tell other believers, well, tell somebody that ain't a believer. It might make them a believer. They might look at it and say, well, here's somebody that's telling me, and I trust them, I've seen their life, and they're telling me that God is real. There must be something to it. So I would say when we come in next week, expect there to be praised. Then look at verse number 2. The Bible says this, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. I would say, number 2, expect there to be worship. Now, there's a distinction between praise and worship. Uh, praise is something that is the expression of the lips. The Bible even describes how at times the children of Israel, when their heart was far from him, God, would praise Him with their lips. And that's not to suggest that praise is, is wholly superficial, but it is an externally focused activity. We are declaring the goodness of God. Worship involves praise. That's what we see from verse number 2. It says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. But worship is a matter of the heart. And what is worship? Boy, I, I remember one time hearing Dr. Seitler talk about the word grace, trying to define it. He said, you might as well try to hug a mountain as defined the word grace. And certainly I would say this, that worship, uh, there is in the sense corporate public worship, worshiping in the house of God. And there is a long history and legacy in the word of God concerning that. But I would say that worship, it regards allowing God to deal with us. Allowing Him to work in our hearts and in our lives. Producing in us an adoration of Him. The word worship comes from the idea of worship. And it is essentially through our life and attitude declaring to God His worthiness. Notice two things about this. Number one, notice the focus of the worship. I will worship toward thy holy temple. Setting our eyes upon him. And I believe that the psalmist here, uh, certainly uh, this being a psalm of David, uh, there was no temple during his lifetime, uh, earthly speaking. So he's talking about the presence of God. And he's saying, I'm going to get my eyes off of this world and get my focus upon you. Can I tell you what this upcoming series of meetings is about? It's not about who can sing the best song. It's not about which sermon that was preached was the best sermon. Uh, It's not about even the attendance. It's not about how many people bring the most folks with them. It's about one thing and one thing only, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about Him and giving Him preeminence in our life, allowing Him to have the glory that's due to His name. So it's not about you and it's not about I. This is a very, by the way, uh, backwards way of thinking in the world's terms. I'm not going to get in the ditch here or I'm going to try not to, but we was talking the other day about how that people's perspective of their relationship to church has been sort of devolved into a consumer relationship as though it's a service industry and it's a question of who provides the best service. And, and by the way, when we yield to that mentality, that's when we start to, that's when we start to tap 
tap our watches. That's when we start to hear every sour note. That's when we all of a sudden become the supreme critics of every single little thing that comes along. It's when we start to believe that this place exists for our pleasure. This place doesn't exist for your pleasure or my pleasure. It exists for His pleasure. As long as we're pleasing Him, that needs to be the focus. You say, well, preacher, but there's things that aren't perfect. Well, go ahead and just sit and sulk till you get to heaven then. Because things are always going to not be perfect. You say, well, preacher, there's things that can be done better. And undoubtedly, we should always strive to give God our best. But don't ever get your focus on who it's about. It's about Him, and He's always perfect. You ought to be able to live with joy in your heart in light of it. So I see the focus of the worship. And this next series of meetings, it's not about you or me. It's not about Preacher McBride, but it's about the Lord. And then notice the foundation of the worship. He says this, For thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. I began to think about this. You know, much of the modern contemporary uh, movement in, in the form of music and of worship, it, it all centers around the idea of the name of the Lord. And they'll have whole songs that are just talking, just repeating, uh, you know, droning over and over again about the wonder and greatness of His name and His name and His name and His name. And I will tell you this, there's, there's none other name given among men whereby you must be saved. It is a wonderful name, and the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and I run into it and am saved. But understand that God has given a higher place in in worship to His Word than He even has His name. And I will tell you this, uh, one of the things you ought to be expecting this upcoming week is the Bible is going to be preached. And your focus should not just simply be to have an, in the worship an emotional experience, but rather to hear the voice of God in His Word and to respond appropriately to it. Uh, so I would say this, expect there to be worship. Then notice the third thing, verse Three, the Bible says this in the day when I cried, thou answeredest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. Expect there to be strength. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, part of what we're doing in this meeting is we're getting strength from the Lord. We need strength for the journey. That's what the angel told Elijah, said, uh, uh, you know, rise and eat. The journey is too great for thee. You don't have the strength for what you need. I will tell you this. If you start living apart from the Lord, what I mean by that is you're not walking with him. You're not faithful to the house of God. You're not praying. You're not feasting upon his word. Expect to get weak. Expect to get weak. Don't think your Christianity is broken when you don't live like a Christian and then find it hard to live like a Christian. Expect it to produce weakness in your life. But then I go even a step further, even when you're doing everything right. There's times, as the psalmist said, that he'll weaken our strength and bring us to a place of of need and dependence upon him. Why does he do that? So that he might leave us in a weak condition? No, that he might strengthen us with his strength. Notice two things that are going to have to happen. One, there's going to have to be a plea for strength. In the day when I cried, thou answeredest me. Psalmist said, you gave me strength because I asked for strength. What a simple truth it is. But we're told explicitly uh, in the New Testament that we have not because we ask not. Often you say, well, preacher, I know we have not because we ask not. But why do we ask not? Usually because we're too prideful to admit a need. But understand coming into this series of meetings, if you come into it not expecting, uh, not needing anything from God, you probably won't get anything from God. I'm going to say that again. If you come into this series of meetings not needing anything from God, you probably won't get anything from God. I, I see it all the time. I, I, I messaged a friend of mine. He was in a revival service and uh, the, the good church of, of, of sweet people, but it's sort of a dying church. And I, I text him. I asked him, I said, how's the meeting going? He said, dead as a hammer. And uh, I knew that because I'd already stalked him on Facebook. Somebody say amen to that. 
I just wanted to hear him say it. Amen. There are churches, and I praise God that Wall Ridge is not one of them, but I don't want it to be one of them. There are churches all over the country filled with people, saved people, people that know the Lord, people that, that to a degree love the Lord, that their churches are dying. Uh, very often their church, there's nothing going on. It, it's, and I praise God for an older generation. I've, I've pastored old people the whole time I've pastored. Amen. And they've only gotten older. Amen. So I, don't, don't take what I'm about to say amiss, but there's all kinds of churches all around that are filled with elderly people who the church is dying. It's dwindling away. There's no young people. There's no life. There's no move of God. There's no work of God in that place. And the people there are not infidels. They're not pagans. They're not God-haters. They love the Lord. But you say, well, preacher, why are there churches that are like that? Very often it's because they grow contented in their walk with the Lord and they never sense any need to hear from God. They never sense any need to see God move. Now, I know you're not like that in this room. If you were like that, our church wouldn't be the way that it is. But I will just tell you that you can come into this revival meeting content in your own sense of self-righteousness, your own sense of self-sufficiency, and miss what God has for you. You've got to sense a deep need for His presence, a need for His help. I see the plea for strength, and then I see the providing of strength. He says this, and strengtheneth me with strength in my soul. The strength does not always come externally. Uh, the strength does not always come in, in, in the sense of God alleviating your situation or giving you supernatural strength to face things with, uh, with it nary touching your life or, or, or giving any strain or anxiety. But when there is need, God gives you the strength in your soul that you do need. So in other words, the work that we're looking for God to do, and God can do incredible things. I've seen God do amazing things. I've seen Him heal people. I've seen God perform miracles that were beyond the scope of, of human ability, things that baffled men in their field that were supposed to be able to explain some natural means of what God had done. But what we're seeking is not the external. God chooses and pleasures to do it, then by all means, but we're seeking for God to do an inner work in our lives. Expect there to be strength. And then notice the fourth thing. Verse number four. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. I would say this. Expect there to be testimonies. Now, when I say that, I don't simply mean, well, we're going to have a night where we're going to have testimonies. Nor do I even mean that testimonies are going to spontaneously break out in the meeting. But what I do mean is this, expect for God to do things in your life that are worth telling people about. This, of course, is hearkening forward. It's looking forward to a day whenever the Lord will sit enthroned in Jerusalem. There's some millennial overtones in these verses. But I just want you to notice two things that struck me. Verse number four, the Bible says this, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Now, how were they going to hear the words of the Lord's mouth. Of course, one day he'll sit on the throne and speak him himself. But to David's understanding, when he spoke about the kings of the earth, David himself being a king, he was speaking of his own testimony to those around him, his peers, about what God was doing. And I want you to notice in this, we have the witness of God's people. In other words, how's the world going to hear about it? Well, because you and I tell them about it. That's how. And expect God to do things this week in your life that are worthy of telling folks about. And when he does, tell folks about. 
So what do you mean, preacher? I mean, go to work, look your co-workers in the eye and say, man, let me tell you what God did at church last night. When they say at church, it was Monday night. Tell, oh, yeah, we're having a revival this week. Actually, shame on you. They ought to already know that you're having a revival this week. I'd, I'd watch out for fleas in my armpits. Amen. <laughs> Tell them what God is doing in your life. Man, it's no wonder. It's no wonder the world is not impressed with Bible Christianity. We're not that impressed with it. If we were, we'd talk about it. Anything in our life that is of note, we talk about. We talk all the time. Why is it that we can't find the boldness to tell folks what God is doing in our life? I see the witness of his people. But then look at verse number five. It says this, this phrase struck me, for great is the glory of the Lord. So not only the witness of God's people, but the wonder of God's person. Why do we tell folks about him? Because he's so glorious. Because he's so good. I'm glad. Listen, I'm not embarrassed about God. And I got no call or reason to be embarrassed about uh, it's it, it's it's a it's a wicked deception when God can or when the devil can cause a believer to be embarrassed about his God. We have nothing of God to be embarrassed about. He's a loving, wonderful God. So I say expect there to be testimonies. And then verse six says this, though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. Now, that might seem like sort of a sore thumb or a, sort of a, 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 you know, an odd verse sort of sticking out like a sore thumb. But we understand it better when we see the end of the verse. But the proud he knoweth afar off. In other words, the psalmist is saying, if we'll humble ourselves, God will meet with us. If we won't, he will not. I would say it this way, expect there to be communion. Now, I don't mean by that observing the Lord's Supper. I mean God meeting with his people, communion with the Lord. I will tell you, I hope you come to revival next week. I do. It'll, it'll help me out of a lot of promises I've made people. Amen. <laughs> I do. I, I, I hope you come. I hope you invite people. I hope, I hope you, other people. I, I was, I'm going to be honest with you. I was a little nervous, uh, the, uh, about Preacher McBride because I, there's a church in town that was having, had, had somebody come preach and I went to their revival meeting just back of this and I found out afterwards that that person was was called at the last minute. Preacher McBride was supposed to preach for him, but he had this surgery and uh, and wasn't able to, to come, and he had to cancel on that church. And I started sweating. I mean, this is just about like two weeks ago. I started sweating a little bit, you know. I thought, I ain't heard nothing from him. And then I, and then I sort of, I, I Christian cussed that pastor under my breath that he didn't call me and tell me, amen. But but I, but I the Lord will forgive him and me both. But, but I, you know, I, I sat there and I thought, boy, I hope he shows up. And it was a, I saw one day, I saw a text message I got from, and you know, I just had that sinking feeling in my guts. You just, you see it and it just says a name. And I thought, oh my, here we go. I'll never tell you how relieved I was when he, when he said, I'm going to be there, preacher. Don't worry. He said, is it all right if we just go to Wednesday? I, I said, absolutely. Let's just, that'll be absolutely fine. But can I be honest with you? Who I need to meet next week is not you. Who I need to meet next week is not Preacher McBride. The singers, if the Lord will show up, that's enough. Now, how do we make that happen? Well, notice, number one, the requirement for his presence. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to humble ourselves. Now, part of that, listen, part of the act of humbling ourselves will be being present here if we're able to be here. In in our very presence here, we're, we're proclaiming a need to the Lord, saying, I need to hear from heaven. But then even once we are here, 
We need to, in our own heart, humble ourselves and say, Now, Lord, I need to hear from you tonight. But, you know, here's the great wonderful truth. If we're willing to humble ourselves, he'll meet with us. He'll meet with us. I I see not only the requirement for his presence, and i got to hasten, but notice the rejection of his presence. So, well, preacher, I understand how he can meet with us, but what if he don't meet with us? Well, I'll tell you what will have to happen for him not to meet with us. But the proud, he knoweth afar off. He keeps his distance. He still knows them, but he keeps his distance. I will tell you that if we come in with pride in our heart, uh, you might as well just go ahead and mark it down now. I mean, you could you could write the after-action report from where you're sitting today. If we'll not humble our hearts, God will not meet with us. So I'd say expect there to be communion. And then verse 7 says this, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. I, I would say this, expect there to be peace. So what do you mean, preacher? Expect God to give peace to your heart and your mind. Part of what we're doing in these meetings is getting the help and strength we need from the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I very often need the peace of the Lord in my life. I thank God that I have peace with God. And 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 I'm thankful that, that I, you know, I can have, uh, you know, the peace of God. But I also want to have peace in God. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, I, I want to live daily confident and conscious of his presence and the peace that that affords. Notice two things that the psalmist mentions uh, that he got peace about. Number one, he got peace about his environment. He said, though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. He was living in a troublesome world. And I'll tell you, man, you, at the, you can live constantly, constantly with j- just chewing your fingernails to the quick with anxiety, with fear, with frustration, with anger, with disillusionment at the world around us. The trouble is we were ever we ever bought into the illusion in the first place. If you ain't bought into the illusion, you can't become disillusioned. We bought into the illusion that safety was ever afforded by this world. Uh, And we never should have done that. We've had to learn uh, a hard way, a hard lesson, a hard truth that things we thought were real were not real. Can I tell you this? No matter what environment you're in, God can give peace. God can give peace. He's got peace about his environment. And then number two, he's got peace about his enemies. He says, thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies and thy right hand shall save me. You know, one of the things I love about the preaching of the word of God, I love to hear what God has done in the past. It comforts my heart because God's never failed. He's never failed. It just explicitly, period, he's never failed. But he has also more specifically never failed one of his people. Never once has he failed. I look around at a world of hostility and I look at an enemy, a foe that's walking about seeking whom he may devour who is motivated by malice and anger and hatred and hostility. And sometimes we'll start to get nervous. But I'll tell you, we have no reason to be nervous. God's on his throne. God's in control. And I'm expecting God to shore up and make steadfast the hearts of his people this next week. And there's a final thing I'll mention it be done. Verse number eight. The Bible says this, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. So what have we said tonight? Well, expect there to be praise, worship, strength, testimonies, communion, peace. But first and foremost, expect there to be development in your life. Notice two things about this development. One, it's personal development. 
The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. David says there's some things that I know God's working on in my life. There's some things that concern me. And he does, I don't think, mean in that sense that they trouble him or give him anxiety, but that they pertain to his life. And he's saying, I'm trusting that the things that pertain to my life, that God will perfect. In other words, mature, bring to full development those things. You know, if you come in, look, and I think this happens a lot. Can I tell you something? I, I've I've counseled people throughout the years of pastoring. I've counseled premarital counseling and 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 marital counseling and postmarital counseling. I mean, I've just you know you just counsel a lot of people throughout the years. And can I tell you a phenomenon that I have seen so many times? I've seen people that they didn't come to counseling to fix their marriage. They came to fix their spouse. And you can tell it by how they begin to describe the problems. You'll say, what are the problems? And they'll say, them, they, what they did, what they did. And I would say, and I often say to people in that situation, uh, until you're ready to fix your marriage instead of fixing your spouse, things aren't going to get better. Can I tell you a, a, a nasty habit we all have in regards to revival? We always come to revival to see what God's going to do in them, that person, them over there. Or even in a in sort of an abstract sense, the church collective. Well, I want to see God do something in the church. Can I remind you what the church is? The church is the people. It's us. It's born again, blood washed believers knit together in the common cause of the gospel and the spiritual unity of the body of Christ. That's what the church is. And so if we want God to do a work, then we've got to seek for God to do a work in us. Uh, if you come looking for God to speak to you, he'll speak to you. I challenge you. I mean that. I challenge you to it. If you want to hear from God, come to every night of the meeting and have your heart open. Come and sit down and say, no, Lord, I'm listening for you to speak to my heart and my life. And you'll see God will do it. Personal, personal development, the psalmist speaks of. And then I like this. Look how it ends. He says, thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Now, why would he say that? Well, because I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm a difficult project. God's working on me, but sometimes I fight against Him. Sometimes the the, the potsherd strives against his maker. And sometimes if if it was me, if, if the roles were changed, if I was God, I would have given up. But not the Lord, His mercy, it endureth forever. And so He says this, Forsake not the works of thine own hands. This is interesting language. There's two reasons that people don't get help from the Lord. One is because they think the Lord won't help them. And this verse addresses that. It's a preacher, but I've messed up. I've come to God about this matter that I've asked him a hundred times before and he's answered. He's given me opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to get this thing right and I've not gotten it right. And surely God's done with me. No, surely according to your word, but not surely according to his word. Hey, listen, surely the Lord's mercies, they're new every morning. Every morning. You say, preacher, I, you know, I'm, I'm positive. No, you're not positive. The, the Lord will, He will work in your life. And then there's a second group of people. There's folks that don't believe the Lord will work, and then there's those that don't believe the Lord needs to work. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. God's not going to quit working on you till you're in glory. You don't ever retire from this thing of God working in your life. You don't ever graduate, age out, advance up, level up. You never get to a place where everything's right and done in your life. God is always working on you. 
And so you say, preacher, what what does God desire to do this week? Well, he wants to develop you in your walk with him. And I believe that if you'll come with your heart open to these things, God will do each and every one of them in your life as they are needed. But if we come with pride in our heart, just coming to, to watch, to observe, just coming as a spectator, well, all we're going to have is a spectator's experience. All we'll do is sit there and listen to a message and listen to some singing and go, well, that was pretty good, and go to the house. I want more than that. And I trust that you want more than that this week. So let's have our hearts in a right condition. Let's commit to it tonight as a church. Bow with me this evening as a musician comes to play. I want you to have liberty to come and to commit and resolve in your heart and your mind that over this next week you're going to see God do these things in your life. He's willing if we're willing. So I challenge you, I encourage you to come and to have your heart open to what God desires to do. Uh, Karen, come play for us tonight. Father, bless this invitation. Lord, I'm so thankful that you're not done with your people. So thankful that you're working in our lives. So thankful that, Lord, over these next series of meetings, opportunities for us to hear from you, opportunities for you to work in us. And may we not miss these opportunities. May we not let pride hinder us. May we not let, Lord, a a lack of commitment hinder us. But, Lord, may we instead have our heart open to what you desire to do. Father, I love you. Bless this invitation, we ask it in Christ's name.